Well, welcome to Highlight Church. If it is your first time, we honor you. Let's give our first-time guests a hand clap. Let's welcome them. Um, you all are amazing. Thank you for waking up this morning and joining us. And um, we're starting a brand new series today entitled Chosen. Uh, we're going to be taking a, a journey through the book of Ephesians uh, for some time. I don't want to tell you how long this series is going to be. The only thing I ask is that you would show up um, every Sunday. Every Sunday. That's all I'm asking. Um, the book is six chapters. So just to give you some clues here or some hints. The book of Ephesians is six chapters. We're not doing a chapter per Sunday, so it's definitely going to be more than six Sundays. We're going to break it up into sections, but come on through. I believe that you're going to not just learn something. I believe you're going to be inspired, encouraged, and uh, I love studying through books because we allow God to determine the frequency of what's talked about, right? It's not that uh, God doesn't determine the frequency of what's talked about in our other series, but a lot of times those ideas are, are filtered through, through, through myself. Um, I may get a concept or an idea or a topic, and I'll start to preach or teach on that. But when it comes to just going through a book, you know, I can, I can read something and I can say, Lord, I don't know if I want to preach that. That's, that might be a little tough to preach. But because we're going through a book, I just can't skip it. So... You know, how many were blessed by the I Promise series a couple months back? Was I Promise good? I think everyone's, well, I think the favorite was uh, I Promise That Failure Isn't Final. Was that a good one for you? Good, good, good. So chosen, the book of Ephesians. Someone say Paul, y'all. Say Paul, y'all. There you go. Paul, y'all. Now, we're six... <laughs> How many people remember the rapper Paul Wall? <laughs> Paul Wall, baby. I'm the people's champ. He was a, what my dad would call a flash in the pan. He stayed around for a year or two and he dispersed. Um, anyway, Mike Jones, they was all in the same, <laughs> same boat. I just totally like filter a few, you know, a generation or two out of the discussion. But let's bring it back in. We're going to talk about Paul, y'all. So we are less than six months old as a church. And I think over the course of time, you've heard me throw out a few names. Um, Paul, David, uh, Timothy, definitely Jesus. But just a show of hands, you don't have to be embarrassed. Who is familiar? Well, this is a good question. Who's familiar with Paul in the Bible? Okay, that's cool. Good, 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 good. Well, what I've come to find out is that uh, as a 20, no, I'm not 29, I'm 30. As a 30-year-old preacher uh, in 2017, uh, it's not always best to assume that when it's time to preach and teach that everyone uh, knows or understands where you're coming from. It's not best to assume that, hey, we're just going to go to the book of Ephesians and you're going to understand it, and you're going to know it, and it's like, yeah, I read that book 10 times last week, and let's go, Pastor. I'm ready to go. I can't assume that. We can no longer assume that anymore. The stats show, uh, done by the Barna Group, 
this is a group that has been doing church research and statistics for years now. The, stati- the statistics now show that we are, uh, that uh, 18 to 35-year-old uh, millennial generation, we are the most illiterate, the, biblical, the most biblically illiterate generation of all time, or since Jesus went back to heaven. So it's not safe to assume that you know who I'm talking about when I'm preaching about Paul or when I'm throwing out the name of Solomon or anything like that. So I think it's important to give some context before we actually dive into the book. And uh, I'd only ask this morning that you open up two things, your heart and your mind. I know it's dark in here. Don't get sleepy on me. I have on my teaching cap this morning. So... Try your best. If you need to look at a light, if you need to look at Chris, if you need to look at my beautiful wife, if you need to, only for the women, not the men, if you need to look up at the ceiling, whatever you have to do is stay awake and stick with me. It's going to be good. So Paul, y'all, Paul, Paul, let's talk about Paul for a minute. Paul was a persecutor of the church. His name was Saul. Uh, Jesus actually changed his name to Paul. Persecutor, so uh, he was a what they called a, a Pharisee of the law. He was a professor of the law of God, the first five books of the Bible, um, and he enforced the law. So whenever Jesus had his three-year ministry, he dies, sleeps for three days, he, he raises uh, from the grave, he sticks around for 40 days, and he gives his disciples marching orders and goes back to heaven. We see in Acts chapter 10, Saul is arresting Christians, persecuting them, beating them, torturing them, and even going, even going, going as far as killing Christians. And uh, we see in Acts chapter 10 that Saul is on the road to Damascus, and he has his papers to take more Christians and imprison them. And uh, on his way to, to Damascus, a light flashes in the sky. This light is the spirit of the resurrected Jesus. And um, he's, he's on his horse, and the light flashes, and it blinds him, and it knocks him off of his horse. And he's blind, and he says, what do you need from me, Lord? He, he, something about Paul instantly understands that this, whatever just knocked me off my, horse, my high horse, because the name Saul means exalted. The name Paul means humble. Uh, whatever just knocked me off my high horse, it only has to be God. So he gets knocked down and he says, how can I serve you, Lord? And Jesus says this. He says, why are you kicking against the pricks? Why are you going against my will? Why, why are you beating my people? Because anytime you touch my people, you touch me. And so what I need you to do, Paul, is I need you to get in line with the will of God. And so the Bible says that Paul is blind for three days. He's, uh, he's in a home. The spirit of Jesus visits Ananias, who was a follower of Christ. Jesus tells Ananias to go and remove the scales from Paul's eyes. And Ananias is like, Jesus, are you crazy? This is like Osama bin Laden. This is like the head of ISIS. And you're telling me to go and remove the scales off of his eyes. Jesus is like, I know he's like Osama bin Laden. I know he's like Charles Manson. I know he's like the head of ISIS, but I plan to turn him into Joel Osteen. Like, I know, I know he's, I know he's crazy, but I'm going to take Osama and I'm going to turn Osama into Joel Osteen. 
And, you know, we, as Christians, we can tend to become a little bit judgmental. Um, but the conversion is really not that extreme. You know, I can, I can kind of relate to Paul because personally for me, it's like God told my best friend to invite Joshua to Bible study. And eventually I came, and on October 16th, my life was completely changed. It's like, yeah, this may be Osama bin Laden, but I'm going to turn him into Joel Osteen. And I got to look at myself, and it's like, yeah, this may be Joshua October 15th, but I'm going to turn him into Joshua October 16th. The conversion really isn't that big. It's Jesus, and it's that simple. It's faith in Christ, and when you put your faith in Christ, you're instantly converted into a new person. And so when he goes from Paul, the persecutor, Ananias does that. He says that Paul or Saul is going to have many things to suffer for my sake. He goes from Paul, the persecutor, to Paul, Saul, the the persecutor, to Paul, the apostle. The word apostle means sent one. An apostle is someone who goes to a land or a place where the gospel is not flourishing. And what he does is he starts ministries from the ground up. Or the gospel may be there, but it's not that effective. And so he'll start a new church, or he'll start a new ministry. And he, he built churches up. So Paul went on four missionary journeys across three continents. And on his third missionary journey, you find this in Acts chapter 19, if you need to reference me. He stops in Ephesus. He stops there for three and a half years. Out of the three and a half years, two of those years in Acts 19, this this was so remarkable to me. Acts 19 verse 10 says this. It says that daily, daily Paul lectured. Daily he was giving word. Daily he was sharing the gospel. Daily he was dispensing the truth. Daily He was loving on God's people daily. And Jesus says this. Jesus said that Paul is primarily called to the Gentiles. Paul himself is a Jew, but he says that you're not called to the Jewish people primarily. You're going to be called to the Gentiles, the black folk, the white folk, the Hispanic folk, the Asian folk, the European folk. You're called to those people. And so Paul went to Ephesus on his third missionary journey, and for two years... Every day, teaching and preaching the word of God. Man, I would have loved to been under Paul's teaching. I would have had the stamina. I can do church every day. I can do God's promises every day. I can do his instructions every day. I can do God's community every day. Now, check this. Ephesus, at the time, was the second largest province in Rome. There was over a quarter million people here. And so people back in this day, they used to meet in homes So Paul, yes, he met in the lecture hall of Tyrannus, you'll read in in Acts chapter 19, but he will also go to homes, pray for people, heal people, and lead Bible studies. Also in Acts 19, 11, it says that the power of God was so real in Paul's life that you could rub a handkerchief or a cloth on his body. You can lay it on someone, and they would receive healing of sickness, demons would be cast out, and lives would be transformed in an instant. That's how powerful people, uh, God was working through Paul in people's lives. And Paul is not a fictitious character. He's a real man. 
Paul is more powerful than Muhammad. Don't give me this Jesus than Muhammad stuff. No. As a matter of fact, Time Magazine one year had Paul as the most popular man in history. Time's Magazine's man of the year, even ahead of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus' ministry was just confounded to Israel. Paul went across three continents. And so eventually, though, Paul leaves. His entire goal is to get to Rome and to appear before Caesar. Is this okay so far today? Like I said, you're going to have to roll with me. I honestly believe that the next blah, blah, blah weeks, we're going to grow more than ever on the inside. And because of that, as a church, we're going to start to fill our, our buildings up and we're going to start to serve in a, in a more powerful capacity. It's going to be good. So I'm excited about this series. Um, so Paul eventually makes it to Rome. He's eventually beheaded, I think around A.D. 64. He gets beheaded because of his witness of Jesus Christ to Jesus Christ. While in prison before his beheading, he writes letters. And Paul writes the letter to the Ephesian church because he's put pastors in place, deacons, superheroes. You guys got it. I got to go and reach the rest of the world. He was like that modern day Superman. Paul did more for the gospel work on foot than we do with airplanes, cars, and phones, and Facebook, and Instagram. I wonder how different the world would be if we had the anointing or if we operated in the power of Paul with the resource that we have. Paul says the only thing I want to know is his resurrection and his suffering. And he understood that life is all about other people knowing Jesus Christ through me. That's all life boils down to. Because when I get to heaven, when I stand before the judge, he's not going to ask me what I did with my 401k. He's not going to ask me what I did with my home. He's going to ask me, what did you do with the good news of my son? Who did you reach? Who did you love? Who did you impact? How did you serve? What did you give up on Saturday? What did you prioritize over my son? He's going to let you in, but he's going to ask you those things. So Paul, y'all. Someone say Paul, y'all. Quotes about the letter to the Ephesians. Uh, first quote here, it says, If Romans is the purest expression of the gospel, as Luther, Luther is the man, study Luther back in the 1500s then Ephesians is the most sublime and majestic, majestic expression of the gospel, according to Lloyd-Jones, who is a dynamic theologian and scholar. He also said Ephesians, of Ephesians, it is difficult to speak of it in a controlled manner because of its greatness and because of its sublimity, the majesty of it. Charles Spurgeon, back in the 1800s, Spurgeon was a beast, he would preach to 10,000 people without microphone, and he, he was amazing. He said this, the epistle, the epistle means letter, of, uh, to the Ephesians is a complete body of divinity. God penned this book. In the first chapter, you have the doctrines, teachings of the good news. and the next, you have the experience of the Christians. So we're going to go from heavenly things to practical things. And then he says this, and before the epistle is finished, 
you have the precepts of the Christian faith. Whosoever would see Christianity in one treaty, let him read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the epistle to the Ephesians. If you're going to learn everything, Paul, not Paul, Charles just said this. If you're going to learn everything about Christianity, everything about Jesus, you can knock out the Gospels, you can knock out Revelations and Genesis, study Ephesians. My encouragement to you is this. Over the next blah, 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 weeks, read Ephesians a few times. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, and then we're going to get into some practical points. Are we okay out there? Yeah. All right, praise God. All right, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, and it says this. This letter is from Paul, <laughs> chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus. Now, in your Bible or in your phone, it doesn't say it on the screen. There may be a star next to it. Scholars debate about whether or not this letter was intended for Ephesus. This letter was supposed to be a circulating letter that went around to all of the churches. But maybe it ended up stopping in Ephesus. It says here, who are faithful followers of Jesus, may our God... May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Peace only comes from Jesus and God the Father. Verse 3, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault. That's Verse 3 and 4 just tear me up. 3 and 4 just, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. What does that even mean, Paul? Please explain. Even before he made the world, God loved us. And this is the, this is the text for, for the title of our sermon series over the next blah, blah, blah weeks. It says this, and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. If you've ever questioned whether or not God loves you or whether or not he's chosen you or whether or not he's for you, Paul just told you in Ephesians 1.4, and I just gave you Paul's story. I just let you know who Paul was before he was Paul. And he says this. He says that before the world was created, you were loved and chosen. In Christ, faultless and set apart. And it says this, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. In Christ, chosen in Christ. And it says this, this is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace. You know, we characterize God with so many different things. Rarely do we characterize him as kind and gracious. And I think that's a lie of the devil, that God is mean, that he wants to take away all your fun. He wants to take away everything good. No, no, no. Every blessing in your life comes from the hand of God. He is kind and he is gracious. And it says this here, that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. 
I got a half an hour to deal. Let's pray real quick. Father, we love you. We give you all the praise. And God, we just, we want your truth. We want to be inspired. We want to be touched. Ultimately, Lord, we want to be different than what we, when we came in. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I got three points. I'm going to jump right into them. Three points here. Three truths, not points, three truths. So if you're taking notes, please do. If you're not a note taker, go ahead and take a note. Uh, point number one. I don't have any other reservations for you. Point number one. You are blessed in Jesus. You are blessed in Jesus. You're only blessed in Jesus. Point number one is this. I had a car, a car in college. It was a 96 Nissan Maxima. And uh, I was in college uh, 2005 until 2009. And so it was my mom's old car. And eventually it just, just didn't work for me. And I was in Tallahassee. Anyone ever been to Tallahassee, Florida? Am I the only one? Nice. Tallahassee has the most terrible roads ever. And they have hills on top of that. So it was a 96 Maxima, and I had a problem with the engine. I forget what it was called. But I had to call my father, um, who at the time, I mean, he was already paying my rent. Um, I'm a broke college kid. I have a part-time job, but it's only enough to put some change in my pocket. Y'all get it. And I call him, and he sends the first few hundred dollars to get the car fixed. We fix it with, those, with that money. Two weeks later, it breaks down again. I take it back to the guy. I don't know much about cars. I'm good with the microphone and with the Bible. I don't know much about cars. You don't know much about the microphone and the Bible. So let's just do a fair exchange. And uh, we go back. It's the catalytic converter. That's what it is. That sucker was a devil. And so we go back, and he's fixing all this stuff. I even had a, a jacked up. It was leaking and all this. He fixes it, and it's another 500 and another this and another that. And each time my dad sends the money, and I'm like, yes, I got it. I can go get my car fixed. I call him. It's broke down again. I need this. Yes, I got it. I can get my car fixed. I call him again. I get the money I need. I get the money I want. Yes, I can get my car fixed. And I, I was studying for this particular verse right here, and I was like, man, what would be something good to tie into this? I was thinking about my broke-down car. I was thinking about how today we have to work all the time in order to receive a paycheck. Like, we need our paycheck in order to eat, to pay our bills, and survive. But what I was, what I was seeing in the text is, is that this says that we are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. There's something about the need to continue to work to get what we need and what we want. And I think it's because the things that we need and the things that we want are temporary. They can only last for so long. They're, they're, they're temporary. They, they don't last that long at all. They Two weeks, you need another check. In a month, you need some more money. And in another year, you need a new friend. You need a new location. Uh, you need a new job. Because these things are, are, are temporary. And Jesus says this in Matthew 5, verse 45. 
halfway through, he says, For he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Jesus is talking about God the Father. And he says that when the sun shines, it shines on those who don't follow God and those who do. And he says that when it rains, because rain was big in Jesus' time in order to produce a crop, he says that when it rains, it rains on the evil and it rains on the good. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that those that don't follow God shall prosper. And those that do follow the Lord stand a chance at prospering on this earth as well. And I think that a lot of us are tempted a lot of times to give up on our walk with Jesus Christ, to give up on our walks in God, because we see, we see, at least we think this is what we see, we see the world prospering outside of God. And so it's meant they're living it up, they, they're happy, they have it all together, they're having all the fun, but what we oftentimes forget in the middle of our week is that the blessings, the physical, external, tangible blessings of this world are only temporary. They're only temporary. They're only here and they're gone. They're temporary. Jesus put it like this. He says, what good is it to gain the world and lose your soul? And he says that anyone that would lose their lives for my sake shall find their lives forever. And so the blessings on this earth, I think that this is what Paul is hitting on. They're temporary. Someone go with me here. Is it, is it more vital to find a job or to discover your purpose? Some of us are blessed enough to receive income based on our purpose and what we love to do. Because I know people who make $200,000 a year, $500,000 a year, but they hate going home. They, they hate their wives. I'm using that word because I've heard them say it. They've called me and they've told me, Pastor, pray for me. And I'm like, send an offering. <laughs> I'll pray for you. <laughs> send an offering. <laughs> they, they hate it because is it? Is it happiness or is it joy? There's a difference. You're happy when what you want to happen is actually happening. But joy is internal. And it only comes from the hand of the Father and the Holy Spirit. Walk with me here. Die in fear versus death with the promise of eternal life. There are so many people that are afraid to die. And they don't know where they're going. They, some people think you're just going to black out, and that's all that there is. But the Bible has the answer for what happens to a person when you're in Jesus and when you're not. And the reason that so many people are, mm, I got to get it all now, and I got to have it. The reason we're so stressed out about money and, and, and relationships and, 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 and material things and, and status and popularity is because our... We feel as though we have to have it all now. It's the same trap. I'm wasting so much time, but I think this is good. It's the same trap that Eve fell into. Take take a bite of the fruit. Because the Lord knows that in in the day that you bite thereof, you will be like God. Eve was already like God. 
She was created in the image of God. She was in the garden. There was not a need that God did not meet in the garden. And we, we get like that. We got to bite the fruit because we think that this is the only life that matters. But when you're in Jesus, you have everything that matters. You have power. You have joy. You have peace. You have deliverance. Happiness is in your hands. You got everything that matters in Jesus. Spiritual realms. <laughs> Romans 14, 17 says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The blessing of God is both internal and eternal. The blessing. The word can be markyrios. The thing that makes you happy. The thing that fulfills you truly is on the inside. And that's only given when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. We talked about that during baptisms, and it's eternal. So the blessings of God don't just stop here. What did Jesus say last week, Vision Week? He said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Revelations tells us this, that when we get to heaven, there's no sorrow, there's no pain, there's no struggle. It's all peace and joy. And so it's the Holy Spirit's job, if you allow him to, it's his job to fill your heart with peace, with joy, with fulfillment. It's his job, if you allow him to guide you and direct you into your purpose, into your destiny, into your calling. All these things are eternal. All these things are intangibles. All these things have more weight. They have more value than the external blessings that God gives us here on this earth because it rains on the just and the unjust. So I'm not saying that your house and your cars aren't blessings from God. I'm just saying that they're not a priority. I'm just saying that when we latch on to those things so tightly, they have the power to rob us of our peace. They have the power to rob us of our joy. They have the power to rob us of our significance. They have the power. Let's do some word replacement here. Let's go back to uh, Ephesians 1.3. Uh, just pull up uh, the, the entire verse. Uh, verse 3, all praise to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with our job. Hold on, let me. My iPad must not be working. I gotta. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with our political party. With our no. Um. Kyra, did Judah get a hold of? I lost it, because we are united with our career. Because we are united with our pastor, with our church. No, no. Mm -mm. Pastors, churches, jobs, all good. Because we are united with our spouses. Great. God bless you. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. 
The word blessing in the Greek is eulogy. It means to speak well of or to declare. So in essence, this is Paul declaring over the church of Ephesus. He says, you remember when I came and I started the church? I forgot to tell you something. I I need to declare that you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. You are saved. You are a child of God. You are loved. You are forgiven. You are equipped. You are chosen. You are going to heaven when you pass away. I have not forgotten about you. Every spiritual blessing. Oh, boy. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ. Get that in your heart. Like, if you got to highlight that, I, you know what I do? I, number one, I, I'd be sitting up front. No judgment to anyone in here. I, I'm just telling you who I was back in the day. I'd be sitting up front. I would highlight that sucker, circle that sucker, put some four stars around each corner of that word, and I go home, and I, I pray about being chosen by God. That, that's it for me. In Christ, to be holy and without fault in his eyes, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Now, you have to understand that we were displaced from God because of sin. And then God chose the Jewish people as his people. And so Paul is saying that we have to understand that we were adopted into uh, the family of God. And once you were adopted during Paul's day, you received all of the rights as a natural child. Um, And so this, this verse blows my mind. Because the only reason that God chose the Jews was to bring forth Jesus Christ into the world in order to reach the world. How many of you guys like receiving gifts? That should be a 100%. Come on now, show of hands. This is a participatory message. Receiving gifts. I love it too. How many of you like, how many of you care about what it's wrapped in? How many care more so about the gift itself? Wow. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. You know, in Japanese culture, uh, gift wrapping um, is more of a priority than the gift itself. Um, The gift is important, but not as important as as gift wrapping. Let's go ahead and give it on up for Lance, y'all. He's going to help me out with this illustration. Thank you, sir. Yep. Um, and so the, the, the wrapping is, is more vital. And they say here that the way the present is wrapped is more important. The way the present is wrapped speaks of the intent and the value of your relationship to the recipient. And even before the present is unwrapped, the person takes a look at the box. And they know based on how the gift is wrapped whether they actually want to open the box or the wrapping. Because chances are, if they're not pleased with the box, they don't care about what's on the inside. 
There can be a billion dollar check in here. But if, if it's not presented to them in the right way, nine times out of 10, it's going to be handed back to the giver. And I was thinking about this, that, uh, that I believe God is similar. You know, this is a, is a pretty box. It's all good. I believe God is the same way. I think God is the same way with, with people based upon Ephesians 4, 5. I think he's the same way with our situations, with our lives. I think what God will say is, is this. If it's wrapped in Jesus, I want it. If it's wrapped in Christ, I've chosen it. It, it, it doesn't matter what's on the inside of it. If it's wrapped in my son's blood, if it's wrapped in my son's body, if it's wrapped in faith, I've chosen it. It is, in fact, mine's. I don't care what's, what's on the inside, so let's just pop this sucker open real quick. You want to pop it open? Yeah. Cool. Are we ready? Could be a dead rat in here. I mean, scripturally. It's not. It's just a few things. If it's wrapped in Jesus. That was salty. Sorry. If it's wrapped in Jesus, failures. Chosen, loved, failures. Your failures. My failures. If it's wrapped in Jesus, bad decisions in your life, in your past. If, it, if, it's, if it's wrapped in Jesus, your family history. Doesn't matter who you are, where you've come from. Doesn't matter your struggle. Doesn't matter your, your sin. It doesn't matter your, your color. It doesn't matter if you're a mixed family or if your family has it all together. Doesn't matter if you're single or married or divorced. Doesn't matter what you did Friday. Doesn't matter what you did last night. You're in church. Praise God. If it's wrapped in Jesus, God will receive it. He'll open it up. Why? Because the same thing that's in Jesus, that's so jacked up about you and I, the same person, the same body, the same work of Jesus Christ, if you're in Jesus, so is God's goodness in Jesus. So is God's forgiveness in Jesus. And so is his love. So is his love in Jesus. In Jesus. Not in your, not in your actions. Not, not in your confirmation, being raised as a Catholic. Not in your baptism a few weeks ago. It's just in Jesus. You've been chosen. You are loved. You were chosen and loved before the world was created. So even before Adam and Eve fell into sin, you were chosen in Jesus. He had a plan the entire time. He had a plan the entire time. And a lot of scholars will ask, well, or people will ask, well, why did God create the world and 
Um, he knew Satan was going to do that. He knew Adam and Eve would fall. What is the deal? And what the response has been over the decades is this, is that the Garden of Eden and this earth was never God's permanent resting place or blessing for your life. It's always been in heaven. It's always been in Jesus. It's always been eternity. It's never for you to have been stuck here on this earth. So because God knew our fallibility, he had a plan for our lives, and we've been chosen in Jesus. Does, is that good? Is that, that's as, about as plain as I can get it for you. Before the world began, before your failure, I loved and I chose all people in Jesus, is what the Lord is saying. The last verse here today, we're going to deal with Ephesians 1, 6 through 7, and it says this. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and in grace. He purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Point number three, we are free in Jesus. You're free in Jesus. We're almost done. You guys okay out there? We're free in Jesus. And I, I want to preface these points by saying this. So I, I didn't want to put it because it was too, too much wording. I want to say this. We're only, we're, we're only blessed in Jesus. Only. If it's not rooted in Christ, it's not a blessing. We're only chosen in Jesus. Only chosen in Jesus. There, Paul, it's funny. So we know who Paul is. I think um, in the book of Ephesians later on, Orson Philippians, he talks about doctrines of devils and demons. And so to only say, to, to put the word only provides a context of exclusivity. There are a lot of different philosophies out there. There are a lot of different what we would call truths. And we'll say your truth is your truth, my truth is, that's what we've stepped into. We've stepped into, we got this new uh, belief coming around called uh, the nuns. These are individuals who say that they're non-religious. Well, as a Christian, your response should be this. We're non-religious too. Because religion is a routine. So people, people used to ask me, especially when I first got saved because I was root. So, so what religion are you since you want to be all in my face? And because I knew what, how to define religion, I would say, well, I believe in Going to class, because going to class is a routine. I believe in washing my clothes, because washing my clothes is a routine. So what I like to tell people that say, oh, you know, it's just another religion, Christianity. I say, no, it's not. It's a relationship with the person of Jesus. And that's what makes the difference. We don't follow rules. We follow a person. And so we're free in Jesus. You're only free in Jesus. I remember in high school, I was on the high school basketball team. I'm wrapping us up here. I have five minutes. Um, we had our, our sports assistants. They would be sophomores, juniors, seniors. And I was 
on varsity and we had our water, our water bottles with our names on them. And so um, whenever the coach would take me out and substitute me out of the game, um, I'd sip my water, put it back down, I'll go back out and I'd play. In the next quarter, the coach would rest me and the bottle would be filled up again. The bottle would be filled, I'll sip my water, the coach pulled me back out for a few minutes, I'll come back and the bottle would be filled up again with the water that I needed. Because when you're playing sports, I'm sure any of you know this, and this is just common knowledge, if you don't have water, if you don't have your Gatorade, you're going to be dehydrated. And so the Bible says here, he says, he is so, it says here, so we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He's poured out his grace. Grace is what, is what we define as unmerited favor. Grace is the, the favor of God that you can't work for. So you go home and you beat yourself up just about every, every week, at least once a week. But what you don't understand is, is that the power of grace has met your life in Jesus Christ. And the Bible just told us that he pours out this grace to those that are in the Son. Grace is unmerited favor. It means that we don't work for the love or the favor of God. He gives it to us freely. Anyone need grace today? Grace today? You, you, you made a mistake last week. You, you committed some heinous sin. You made a bad decision. You didn't have a right thinking. You had stinking thinking, but you needed grace. The Bible just says that God pours out grace. And so every time we run back out into the world, every time we run back out into the middle of our week, we need more grace poured into our lives in order so that we could be free. And it says it here in verse 7, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son. I need God's grace. I wish I could be transparent as a pastor about the thoughts that I've had this week. About the thoughts of my children, my wife, the process of our church, my team. I wish I could be a bit more transparent with you, but I, I stop and I think sometimes, man, like I'm a pastor. How in the world did I just think that? That's sick. That's sinister. Why did I just do that? Why did I do that in the past? And the Holy Spirit always reminds me that God is always pouring out grace. Grace, unmerited favor. Yeah, you did it, but there's grace. Yeah, you, you, you failed, and you failed again, and you failed at the same thing. And you continue to fall, even though you just gave your life to Christ a year ago, six months ago, two weeks ago. You did it again. Grace. Paul says in Romans, though, that grace doesn't give us the, the open door to continue in our dysfunction. Grace gives us access to everything that God has for our lives. So don't allow grace to be your crutch. Allow grace to push you forward into the freedom 
that Jesus has provided for your life. You're free to dream. You're free to believe. You're free to fight. You're free to write the vision that God has put in your heart and to pursue it. You're free to prosper in every area of your life. You're free to step out on faith and know that as you step out on faith, God gives a foundation. You're free to trust God's instruction and to know that as you trust his instruction, he's going to honor you with his hand of blessing. Thank God for his kindness and his grace. I need his grace. And so let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We give you all the praise and the honor for your grace, for your mercy, and for your goodness. Jesus, thank you that you gave your life for us. Thank you that we are chosen in you. Thank you that before even the world began, you loved us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.